SVN. Good afternoon and welcome to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Chad Moyer filling in for Susan Littlefield today. And on the phone with us, Mike Zuzalo from Global Commodity Analytics. Mike, always good to have you on the air with us. Let's just quick check the markets here. Uh, last trade on these grains, uh, corn was a little higher, soybeans were down a little bit, but wheat had uh, uh, kind of a second day of, of higher prices across the board here. Uh, before we talk about specifics, maybe just give us your thoughts on the markets overall. You know, especially after we had uh, the Russian talk yesterday and the announcement from the Federal Reserve, just overall, what was the feeling in the markets today, uh, Mike? Yeah, that's a really super question. Good to be back with you, Chad. I think the big thing with this market right now between the Federal Reserve, Russia, and and what we're learning on yield so far in the harvest, which is very early on, obviously, um, I think the wheat market is trying to form a, a type of bottom because it has less fundamentals going against us. And, and it also has this situation where the Russian risk premium probably needs to still be looked at, and, and maybe the trade thinks they overdid it to the downside here in the last couple months. I certainly am in that camp that they took too much risk premium out. So I think even with the Federal Reserve and the new 20-year highs in the dollar and the new Chinese, the new uh, two-year lows in the Chinese uh, offshore currency, it sure looks like the wheat market kind of wants to make a stand here. All right. Now, you mentioned the export numbers. You know, we went a number of weeks where we were not getting export information other than uh, private announcements. But uh, second week of export numbers today, what was your assessment of the uh, grains that made their way out of the United States? Yeah, the trend that continues to be we are losing exports. And we are, our trend is, I think, clearly weaker in terms of the export demand base, Chad. And I think this makes sense from a standpoint that the, the U.S. corn price is around $320 a ton at the Gulf of Mexico. Brazil is around $290 a ton. And over in the soybeans, it's even more so of distinction where the U.S. beans around $600, $610 a ton. Brazilian down to $565 a ton. So you throw on top of that that Argentine soy dollar. It's not surprising that China's soy, soybean imports from January through August um, were down about 5% when it came to what they purchased from Brazil, down about 15% from what they purchased from us here in the U.S. Now, year-to-date soybean sales are good. They're still up 11%. That's what today's data showed us, but I think it's slipping, and I think that combines with the fact that we are also slipping in the wheat and the corn. All three of them, Chad, did not make the lowest trade guess on the Reuters poll, so that kind of gives you an idea of where we sit with this super strong dollar. So is, do you think, is being as close to the end of the marketing year as we are, uh, you know, just a couple of weeks away, is that going to have impacts on the final numbers for this fiscal year, do you think? I don't think it'll have much of an impact. I think what could have an impact in the short term is that if the market does see the need to have end users jump in and extend their length or extend their purchases out several months, again, I think that would be led by the wheat market because we're putting fresh supplies of corn and soybeans on the table. And I think it makes more sense that it would be in the wheat market, even with this reportedly massive Russian wheat crop, which I'm dubious of, I'm skeptical of. Um, I think that the trade would have to think about the wheat market especially uh, because this is time for planting of winter wheat. And if we have a whole nother round and, and a bigger war and conflict in Russia and Ukraine, you've got to wonder not only what you're going to get out of the corn harvest over there, but how are you going to get planted 
in Ukraine with the winter wheat. So I think that's the thing the wheat also has that maybe I think maybe the end users would want to come in on and buy a little bit of extended needs. And that goes back to the U.S. weather. Today's drought monitor, I think, was a big issue for the trade to have to contend with. And then obviously the Argentine drought, it's not going away. It's actually getting worse. Okay. Well, let's talk about that drought monitor and the impact to the wheat since uh, you brought it up there. Uh, what what did the drought monitor show and, and why should that be of concern? Well, I think it's of concern. I'll take that second half first because take, for instance, Ellis County, Kansas. It was a pretty a pretty well-received rainfall system that they got here last night and early this morning, anywhere from nine-tenths of an inch to 2.6 inches in that county. That is a big, hard red wheat county. But there wasn't many more than two or three counties that really were blessed with substantial rains like that. And when you combine that with today's drought monitor, the D1 to D4 drought, which is the drought that essentially is going to be real tough to take away during this time of the year in nebraska it went to 95 percent that's up eight points versus last week in kansas it's up to 80 percent that's up five points versus last week so we're i think quickly running out of time to replenish soil moisture and clients and, and contacts down in the hard red wheat belt of say russell or hutchinson uh, kansas they are reporting me yeah we're going to try and dust wheat in hoping for rain but we are seriously worried about it even sprouting at this stage all right so what about in other wheat growing areas now you mentioned russia you know what about the ukraine what about uh, australia and some of those other areas uh, is there going to be any help to the balance sheet from some of those other regions uh, around the world yeah, excellent question. Australia, I think they will help a lot in terms of the export supplies that will be available here in the coming months. Um, I'm, I'm real skeptical about Russia because Ukraine had to tamp back their expectations because of dry weather. Well, I looked at the weather models really closely during the months of June, July, and early August, um, right that time period where the wheat really needed to you know, put on heavy fruit. And it just wasn't there in terms of some of their major wheat production areas. So Sovicon comes out today, says we've got a 99 million metric ton wheat crop. I mean, that would be a historical wheat crop, almost 100 million tons out of Russia. I don't think it's that big. And I think that's one of the things that is going to really play out here because Russia's exports are down about 20% versus where they were a year ago. So this all goes back to even if Russia has that kind of wheat, if they go after Ukraine in a big way with this mobilization, they're probably going to want to keep a lot of wheat at home to be able to protect their prices and feed their own people. Coming up, we'll talk a little bit about early yields as corn and soybeans are coming off. Some notable things going on in feeders. We'll talk about that and more in the second half of the Fontenelle Final Bell. That's coming up in just moments here on the Rural Radio Network. With 85 years of serving Nebraska farmers, Fontenelle Hybrids is still committed to helping you meet the challenges in every field. In farmer-managed trials over the last three seasons, Fontenelle's 15 top-yielding corn products had over a 9-bushel-per-acre yield advantage over Pioneer's commercially available leading-volume corn products. That's a 75% win rate. No wonder Fontenelle is called the best-kept secret in the Cornhusker State. Contact your local Fontenelle dealer to see what all the fuss is about. Read and follow pesticide label directions, grain marketing, and other...
Welcome back to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Chad Moyer, joined once again by Mike Zuzalo, Global Commodity Analytics. And Mike, we had been uh, talking about the grains. Uh, the, the one thing that we didn't hit on in the first half was just uh, kind of the dynamics in corn and soybeans these days. Um, as the combines just start to roll, what are you hearing in terms of yields coming off the fields these days? Yeah, this is where, again, it's early on like we talked about, Chad, but I will have to say at a 171.5 corn yield that I have projected on my model and a 50.6 bean yield, I don't see the need right now to take those numbers down at all based upon the earliest crops, which for the most part on both sides of the Corn Belt, both sides of the Mississippi River, it seems to me the clients I work with were suggesting the earliest stuff would probably be the hardest hit uh, commodities. And like Nebraska right now, down closer to the York area, uh, it, you're looking at mid-70s for irrigated beans, 220 for corn. Silage was poor from what I'm hearing. But, the, you know, that irrigated bean number is only about 10 bushels lower than last year. You flip over to Missouri, Kansas, clients on hilly ground, dry land ground that did get a lot of rains running 211 on their corn right now, down about 10 bushels. Clients that did not get rain in Kansas running 115 on their earliest corn, which is probably going to be their worst. That's down about 40 bushels. Illinois irrigated client I talked to today, 210 uh, on, on ground that did not get rain this year. So he was pleasantly surprised. And then Kentucky client told me he was about a third done with beans and running about 75 to 80 bushels. So these are high enough yield numbers. I don't need to tamp down the national yield at this point. It makes me think the USDA is pretty much right on track. These carryouts are going to be tight enough. You know, maybe this is, is a good thing if we can hold on to at least where we're at on some of these yields, huh? I couldn't agree more because we need the demand. We don't want to price ourselves out of the demand with even tighter supplies. And I think that to wrap up the wheat mindset that I am carrying right now, I think that's where the weather bowl and the wheat, combined with the harvest pressure not being there like it is in the row crops, this Russia issue, and then the commitment of traders numbers, the funds are short wheat and long, very long corn. I think the wheat is really the best gauge for whether the corn and beans can hold these values or not as the yields keep coming in. Let's switch gears here and talk a little bit about livestock. It was a second day down in a row across the board. Live cattle, feeder cattle, hogs down today. Uh, you made mention that there's something to watch in, in the feeders, Mike. What are you keeping an eye on with that? Yeah, we made a fresh seven-week low. We're getting close to the September expiring here at the end of the month. We notice now that the September and the no futures and feeders are now the same price. So we've taken that premium out, which is, I think, a healthy sign overall, Chad. We've found about a 7% loss in November feeders. We've gone from about 191.50 uh, about a month ago, mid-August, um, down to about 177.75 today for a low. So we've lost about 7%. Support, I would call both technically and fundamentally, about 2 to $3 below this market as long as the cattle on feed report tomorrow and the cold storage report today don't show any kind of bearish surprises. So feeders should have let us lower because it was the first one to go higher. All right. Now, what do you think about that Catalan feed report? Uh, I know some of the pre-report estimates are out. What are you thinking on that? Do you think we're going to be close to those? You know, the funds are very long in fat cattle, and the Fed is, I think, going to start spooking the consumption mindset. And that means the funds and the investors who are long are going to start wondering whether we're going into recession and therefore we don't we can't pay for this high priced beef. And I think that's where the marketing's number, that 105, 106 level, that's a rich, strong demand base for a pre-report estimate. I sure hope we get that. I think we can, but I think that if we don't get that, we're below 105. I think the trade may look at the fat cattle and say, 
probably too much premium in those December fats. Okay. And then you and I were talking about the hogs. Boy, what uh, here's a market that's really tough to decide what direction it's going to go because on the one hand, uh, you got uh, the processors buying hogs. We've got a very a very brisk slaughter pace, but we just can't get any value on the on the cutouts and uh, the futures just don't seem willing to go up. What's going on with the hogs? It makes sense to me that because we left a gap in the weekly chart and we're going into a negative cash seasonal, that this market would do exactly what you're talking about, that we would find try and find our way through the darker period of, of not knowing exactly what's going on. I'm hopeful the cold storage numbers show some drawdown. And if that's the case, I think the $90 level can become good support here until we get closer to that Christmas ham seasonal. So I would say range bound for the most part between 90 and 100 would what I could see here between now and maybe Halloween. All right. Just as we wrap up here, top two factors to be watching the market for the markets the next week to 10 days. Yeah, I think if we don't have the wheat support us here, we go down seasonally into harvest as long as these yields hold up like they could be uh, suggesting at this point, Chad. And I think that's where it would make sense for me to recommend to clients and subscribers to get some floors underneath them in the form of bought puts or off-the-combine sales on soybeans if you can't have room on farm for both commodities. But I think you play defensive here because the Federal Reserve has essentially said we're not stopping. The, the Jerome Powell said 13 times in his press conference of 42 minutes yesterday the word restrictive, and that means we don't want inflation, and that means we don't want commodities to go higher. All right, Mike, as always, great to have you on the air. Thank you so much. Mike Zuzalo with Global Commodity Analytics. Trading of commodity futures does involve substantial risk of loss. It might not be suitable for all investors. That is today's Fontenelle Final Bell. It's brought to you by Fontenelle Hybrids and your local Fontenelle dealers. Here on the Rural Radio Network, Chad Moore.